Hi, this is Steve Scott, producer of Safari Hunters Journal. You're listening to Outdoors with Jason. Welcome to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Each week, I bring the world of hunting, fishing, and conservation to you. From the great hunting and fishing opportunities found in the Americas to the dream safaris located on the dark continent beyond. I'll introduce you to those who are already out in the field living every outdoor enthusiast's dream, as well as outfitters and gear manufacturers that can make those dreams your reality. Top 10% Deer Management is the premier land management company to help you see better deer on your property. Whether you have 10 acres or 10,000 acres, let a top 10% representative begin to help increase the correct deer habitat on your property. Go to top10percentdeermanagement.com for an introduction. Top 10% Deer Management. Manage. Hunt. Harvest. A family-owned business. Buck Fever Synthetics, the premier attractant company, making not only the finest whitetail synthetic attractants, but also scents for elk, moose, bear, and hog hunters. Use with Buck Fever's Vanishing Hunter to reduce your scent and see the difference. Put out Buck Fever year-round to have the animals coming in. It crystallizes in dry soil and reactivates with moisture, and it never spoils. It simply works. Go to BuckFeverUSA.com to see the full line of Buck Fever Synthetics. Make bucks hunt you. Proudly made in America. Racks, offering the coolest bow hanger on the market. Display your bow with pride in your house, your garage, or anywhere you'd like. We carry most major brands while also offering a custom service if you have an idea or logo of your own that you'd like made into a hanger. Use them to display your traditional bow, compound bow, or even your crossbow. They also work great for hanging your hunting gear, your bags, or hats. Not to mention the design just looks plain awesome all by themselves. A Rax hanger makes for a great gift for that special hunter in your life. Go to RaxInc.com to see some of the available designs or contact us to discuss the custom hanger of your own. For listeners of the Outdoor Adventures with Jason podcast, use the promo code PODCAST and get 15% off your first order. Rax, show off your passion. Welcome to this episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason. What I've really wanted to focus on in a lot of the next episodes is talking with folks that are on YouTube and the great content that are being produced. And I happened to be searching for a specific type of broadhead about a month or so ago, and it was called a SIK or SICK. And I happened to come across this channel called Lusk Archery Adventures. After watching a couple videos, I was hooked. John Lusk, the man that made all the videos on this channel, is a diehard broadhead tester junkie like I am. And I'm lucky enough to have John on the phone today. John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jason. It's an honor to be uh, invited on the show and to be able to chat with you today. Well, this is pleasure's all on this side of the table, as they say. You know, I was watching your channel. You've got about, what, 80 videos out there. Is that right? About 80? Yeah, it's um I think I'm up to 87 or something now. It's it's over 80. Haven't gotten to 100 yet, but that'll happen soon. What I thought was really impressive is over 2 million views across your videos including now this is not going to be released for a few weeks, but you released one yesterday where you just laid the smackdown on a hog. Yeah, I love that one. So I went on this crazy trip down to Texas and Oklahoma. I organize a trip every year. I've done it for 15 years with a bunch of fellow pastors and lay leaders in our churches around the country. And so we've done it again, 15 years. We call it Boar Brothers. We've gone all over the country, but this one was in Texas with that group, 14 guys, and we just had a blast. And then 
then after that, I went and visited some friends up in Oklahoma. Matter of fact, they have the show Young Wild. I don't know if you've ever seen that on Outdoor Channel, but that's a whole nother story. Incredible family. And so I, I hunted on their place, which is just free range hogs, hogs everywhere. So I had I had so much fun. And I had a new GoPro Hero 7 Black, which has this incredible stabilization. So you can mount it, you know, just to your, your stabilizer or something. And then the stabilization is like you're using a gimbal. And so it just, um, it, it's really cool. So I got great footage of all these hunts. And I just uploaded the first one, which was one of my faves because I just, I drilled this hog right between the eyes and it just went stiff. It just literally instantly went stiff. Its legs just shot out from under it. And so it kind of made a cool video. <laughs> so in the, just in the last like 18 hours, it's hit my record of most views in the first, you know, less than a day. I, I, I encourage anybody to check it out. You won't be disappointed. Yeah, there's already over 2,400 views to this. And share a link out to my Facebook page to it. And we'll see if we can't ramp that number up because it's really amazing. And that's not your first animal you've shot straight in the head. But we're going to leave that for a bit now because I want to take a big step back and say, tell me a little bit about what brought you to starting Lusk Archery Adventures, which is your YouTube channel. Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. So I grew up bow hunting a lot. My mom and dad were both competitive recurve shooters, and I just grew up in the home with bows and arrows and trophies all around me and to go out to the archery range with them. And then I got a bow. Then my dad took me bow hunting for hogs and deer when I was a little kid in Louisiana. And I just I just love bow hunting. And so it was, um, let's see, it was about, well, it was two years ago. I was on a ministry sabbatical, just like a break from the ministry for a couple months. And we were traveling around. I got to do some hunting in Texas, Missouri, and Montana on this one big swing. And then I thought, I'm going to put together a bunch of videos and then do some broadhead testing. And so I, I, I do so hunting videos, broadhead testing, and I just loved doing it. And I found it really started to meet a need of people, especially like testing the broadheads. Because people go, I don't want to spend the money to test it if I can read some honest reviews. And I'm not paid by anybody to do it. And so I give really honest reviews and I don't mind blowing up a broadhead, you know? So as a matter of fact, I kind of enjoy that if that's what happens, <laughs> but I'll give props where props are due. But, you know, so in, in just under two years, I've got, you know, 80 something videos, probably 25 or so are broadhead testing videos of over 50 different heads. And then about 60 of, of the other ones are all my own bow hunts. It's just all my own material, the whole, the whole channel. And like I said, I found your channel as I was trying to look at a new broadheads or two new broadheads that I, I had come across, which are the SK2 and the SK. In the F4 by Sick, I think is how they pronounce it. And yeah. I was impressed by the broadheads. A little bit difficult to get in touch with, and I haven't really found a spot to buy them yet. But what it led me to do is I said, wow, I jumped from there. Then I said, wow, look at this guy. He's as nuts as I am. He's got all these mechanical broadheads. He's just going to smash and dash them and give you the <laughs> results. And most of your, the thing that's kind of cool about your videos is some of them I think should be longer, but most of them are four to six minutes long, maybe, uh, with a few 12 minuters thrown in there and a few two minuters thrown in there. Yeah. Yeah. I've, you know, I have experimented with that. I have, I have one that's like, a couple that are like about 20 minutes. Um, but I found like the maximum kind of retention is I, I, I shoot for under 10. That's just the way I find is people are searching and kind of their attention span on YouTube. They just want to 
go on to something else. So I have some that are little quick snippets of about, you know, a minute or so, you know, a single shot or something. But I try to keep the broadhead testy ones to about 10. So it has enough information in it for the people who really want information, but it's not so long that, you know, people turn it off. But even then, you know how it is with anything, Jason. I mean, I'll get half the people right and say, just shut up and quit talking and just show the test. I don't care about all that you have to say. (laughs) Then there's people like you going, I wish it was longer and I wish you could explain this more. And so I've done so much research. I'm, I'm a civil engineer. I'm a pastor, but have a background in civil engineering. And I love design. And I've researched a lot about different types of steels and the geometries and the durabilities and penetration and cut size and bevels and all this different stuff. And I figure like a lot of people don't know that. They just go to Walmart or Bass Pro or Cabela's and buy broadheads and screw them on. But I thought, well, why not just try to help educate people? And what are you trying to look for? What do you want to do with this broadhead? And let's help you figure out what might be some good choices for what your endeavor is. Right. And I shot a mechanical broadhead one time out of my crossbow, I don't know, 12 years ago, 10 years ago, something like that, and had terrible results with it. So like many people, I bagged the mechanicals and I had friends that were shooting for Muzzy. They gave me the tried and true Muzzy four blade, 100 grain, put that on the end of my crossbow, shot that for two or three years, and then stumbled across Magnus. And for number of years I've been shooting the Magnus Buzzcut Stinger and the Magnus SCR Hornet. Had great luck with those. They've flown well out of a crossbow. I'm just learning to shoot a compound bow. Because of me being handicapped, I bought a... um, I always wanted to shoot a bow, but I didn't know, you know, kind of that information overload, like with broadheads. And yeah, yeah. I finally found a guy who helped me, you know, basically said, get this bow and quit overthinking it. And it was a <laughs> Diamond SB1. And I liked it because the darn thing could be dialed down from five pounds up to 70 pounds. Yeah, that's nice. And having the bad back, uh, I didn't know what I could draw or couldn't draw compared to somebody that was, you know, healthy. And so mine's set at 42 pounds, which is more than enough to take a hog, white-tailed, you know, many things in in eastern United States. Might not want to hunt elk with it for long-distance shooting, but nonetheless, 42 pounds is plenty. Sure. So I'm starting to practice with that. I'm nowhere near proficient enough to actually contemplate even taking it out in the field. But with my crossbow, I used the Magnus. I liked the, the warranty on Magnus, and so stuck with that. Now, You've done tests on all of these. I'm going to pick a broadhead that you've tested. You and I have not spoke about this. You're unaware of what I'm going to say. And I want you to kind of tell me about the video and the testing you did on this particular broadhead. And I've not watched the videos on these three, which is why I'm picking this one. One of the videos that you did, well, I I I did watch one of them. One of the broadheads you reviewed was the Iron Will. Only Mm, video I've watched on the Iron Will is where you shot it into a javelina skull. Yeah, that was fun. I just wanted to see what would happen. Tell the listeners, when you put together and said, I'm going to test these Iron Will broadheads, What's your methodology? What's your thought process? How do you go from point A to point B in a test for somebody that's not watched one of your videos? Okay, that's a good question, Jason. First of all, I do have a keen passion for high quality broadheads, like upper end, top tier, very expensive broadheads, just because I don't know, you know, it's one of those, I want to shoot the best kind of stuff. And I I know a lot of it's overkill, but I just like testing that kind of stuff. And what I find is it's very hard to get reviews of the top tier stuff 
because it's so expensive. And so I figure like that could be a cool niche if I do some testing of the top tier stuff because there's not a lot of videos out there of people testing it. So being in Colorado, uh, where Iron Will is based and the owner and designer, Bill, is there in the Denver area, I thought, well, hey, let me let me test them out. And I did some research. And he, first of all, the owner designer is just a cool guy. So I did research about the heads themselves and about how they were designed. He's a professor at, or he teaches at University of Colorado on the side, a mechanical engineering teacher. And so he's a really knowledgeable guy. And he has, they have an incredible website explaining their broadhead. So I did all the research. I see it's made out of A2 steel, which is a really nice, really good tool steel. Has a really nice Sharpie V-notch score, which it's resist. that's its resistance to impact. A lot of times that's overlooked. People just talk about whether it's steel or aluminum or titanium, and they really... That's just like scratching the surface. But a broadhead needs to hold an edge really well, needs to be able to get really sharp, and it needs to be able to resist impact. And people talk about the Rockwell hardness, which is important, but if it's not coupled with a good Sharpie V-notch score, like resistance to impact, it's just going to be too brittle. It's, it's going to break. And that happens with a lot of broadheads too. So anyway, I did all this research on Iron Will, and I thought, okay, this is worth testing out. And so I got a pack of them. And I thought, let me test them for flight, let me test them for penetration, and let me test them for durability. And I did that. So I have a, I have a couple different videos where I shot them out to 100 yards, and man, they flew incredibly well out to 100 yards. One of the very most forgiving tick blade heads I've ever I've ever shot. Even in a crosswind, it was pretty easy to pop the balloons. I mean, you still got to watch your form. You know, it's it's a long ways out there, but but it uh, the head itself flew very well. So I have one video on that. I just want to test. The, the flight. And then um, for the durability, I go through a few different phases of how I like to test it. Back then, what I was doing is I put it through some wood. I put it through like wood and carpet, kind of like hide and bone type thing. I've shot it through wood, carpet, and like a rubber foam layer to simulate kind of some softer tissue. And then I shoot it through steel, like a steel plate that, you know, between 16 and 22 gauge steel plate, depending on the test. So I do that to see how well is it going to hold its edge when its edge is really getting roughed up. And man, the iron wheel did super well with that. And then I'll shoot it just for fun. If it's a fixed blade head and it's doing really well, I'll shoot it into a cinder block just to see what's the, the structural integrity like. And on a zero penetration test, it's, a, it's you know, is it overkill? Yeah, but sometimes you hit an elk in the femur or something like that, you're going to get zero penetration and you want to know if that head is going to shatter or that head is going to stay intact. Well, the iron wheel, I did it on all that. And I mean, it stuck fairly deeply into the concrete and that head was like still in great shape. And I was like, oh man, we got a winner, winner right here. And so then I was on a hog hunt or a, a yeah, hog and javelina hunt last year. And one of my buddies shot a javelina and I thought, okay, well, let's see if I just shoot this into the skull like how's it gonna do and man it just zipped right through the javelina long ways i mean it buried up to the fletching in the skull Th those heads are just amazing amazing heads because it's a great design it's super tight spec and um, low profile in flight and then the steel is just it's top top tier steel so you get what you pay for they're not cheap but they are a, they're a class a head so when you look now, those come in a fluted and a solid version or vented in a solid version. What's kind of the 
thought is it just is the vented version really just to lighten it up a little bit to give you a say 100 grain versus 125 yeah at first they that's right it, basically at first they were uh, they just came out with the vented and it you know it's a the vented typically will be uh, a bit more forgiving in flight because you have less of a profile in that sense you know the the air can can circulate through it when it's rotating and and then it's lighter, you know, it's more streamlined. And given that they're using this really great steel, the vented's are still really strong. A lot of heads they'll vent like that, but they're really weak because it's just, you know, four sixteen or four twenty stainless steel. It's just it's not quite enough to be able to handle it when it's that thin. But the the iron wheels are are thick. Like I think they're point oh six oh inches thick, but then they're also even in the in the vented models, they're the blade itself is wide enough with that venting to still hold up well, especially given that quality of steel. But then they came out with the solid, and the solid is a little bit quieter in flight. Some people didn't like the noise that the venteds make in flight, and vented heads will get kind of a whistling sound. Now, I don't think that makes any difference whatsoever on hunting, but I understand some people just go, well, I don't want it, you know, and you got to be confident in your head. But like when you, you know, in casts where you put cameras like right down range and you hear what an animal would hear as this head is flying towards them it's it, you hear the bow shot way more than you hear the head and it's the bow shot that that they you know look up at and stuff like that that the arrow flying by or whatever that's that's like a like a bee or like a, you know a bird or you know there's all kinds of little, you know kind of a sound it's it's not the same kind of bam so i don't think it really matters but but i started shooting the solids because they're just extra strong and they're extra durable and so if you don't have any venting whatsoever. I mean, you just got solid A2 steel, 0.060 inches thick. Man, you got something that's going to be extra strong. So I really, uh, I like both. I have no problem shooting both. I have shot both, shot animals with both, but I personally prefer the solid. And they are, for anybody listening, if you're not familiar with Iron Will, and again, I didn't even know this until I just pulled up their website, they are a premium broadhead, would be priced competitively with, uh, what are they called, grizzly sticks? So you're talking about $32 or so for a broadhead. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, so not cheap. And when I first was looking at that, you go, whoa, you know, I could get a pack of four of other heads for that price. But then, you know, to, and, and everybody has different wallets and you, you can't, it's like anything. Do you really need a carbon bow? You know, do you really need that new truck? Like we all have different priorities according to our budgets. And, you know, to one person, maybe a hamburger at McDonald's is living large. And to another person, you know, going to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse is chump change. So we're all just different. But but for me, the final point of contact after all your preparation, all your practice, all your, your hunting, you finally get the chance at an animal of a lifetime. Man, I do not want a broadhead that's just going to fall apart. And I've had them. I mean, I've shot, I shot a bear with a broadhead that just, I mean, it literally broke in half. I shot a deer with one that broke in half. I shot a coyote with one. And back in the day, I just used to use these little Walmart specials. I didn't know any better. And, and it just broke in a coyote. And so I personally really want something that doesn't have to be expensive, but I want something that is, I am 100% confident is going to hold up on that shot. To me, that's more important than a warranty. The warranty is awesome. 
awesome. I mean, that's great too. And, and the iron wheels are warranted like that. I mean, a lot of heads are, you mentioned Magnus, they have an incredible warranty, like phenomenal. I want to make sure that it holds up on that shot, especially if I'm going for like, okay, you know, deer, hogs, that's not so much my concern, turkey. But if I'm going for like an elk or, you know, an African game or just some unique species that I, I get a rare opportunity, I draw a really rare tag, then I want to use like the best of the best to where if I have a problem, it's because of me, not because of my broadhead. Right. Like you, if I'm going out and shooting deer, hogs, you know, a six pack of Allen broadheads from Walmart will do the job just fine. Yeah. yeah. You know, but if I somehow am lucky enough to get a chance at a bighorn sheep, a doll sheep, and I'm doing it by archery, which I would never because of my disability. But if that's me, I'm not going to spend the time and the effort to get out there, work my tail to get out there, have my expensive bow, my expensive arrows, my lighted knocks, and top it with a $3 broadhead. That just doesn't make sense. (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm with you. So, you know, every broadhead, and to know that these iron wheel broadheads like grizzly sticks are on well they're on the high end but you might only need to buy three of them for the rest of your life that's the thing they they will they will last i mean there's no doubt they're so because they're so thick and because the steel's so good they're fairly easily resharpened now, i don't mean that steel's so soft that it's easy to sharpen that way but you can resharpen it you know it's not a one and done broadhead like bishop you know they're those are bishops are the toughest head there is on the market and they're to my knowledge they're the most expensive i mean they're really really top tier heads they use s7 tool steel those things will way outlast any hunter alive on the planet today. I mean, those are like, you're going to put those in your will to your great, great grandkids. I mean, those things just are, they're going to last forever. And honestly, you go on a hunt and then you just easily sharpen them back up. And in time, if you hunt enough, they pay for themselves. Now, if you lose it, you lose it. Okay. Then you're hosed. But if you, that's why I always use nocturnals, you know, a lighted knock when I'm using premium heads, because I want every chance I can get to be able to recover that arrow. And then I get my money's worth over time out of that expensive broadhead. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of that, have you ever, as an archery hunter, uh, have you ever tried those Bluetooth uh, knocks? No, I haven't. You know, I contacted the company at one point. I was asking about them and then I forgot what happened. Like, I guess I didn't hear back. And then I just, I never even thought about it again until you say that. And I mean, they, they kind of, they came out a lot. They, I mean, they were popular on Instagram and stuff. They were making their rounds. I haven't heard much about them recently, but they sure were intriguing to be able to see that. I go, man, that's pretty intense. Like you're tracking down your arrow and stuff. And I mean, I could see that that plays a role. I, I use a lighted knock and I use reflective arrow wraps from one stringer. I love those arrow wraps. And so then if by chance my my lighted knock goes out or, you know, whatever reason it breaks or it doesn't engage, I can go back at night and just shine my light. And I mean, man, that those those reflective little wraps light up like a Christmas tree, you know, like a stop sign, literally. And so they're so easy to find. So, But I haven't used those those new ones. I want to check those out sometime. You know, what it seems to me, if I remember back maybe 20, 25 years ago, it seems to me a company came out with a, at this time there was no 
major technology like there is now into the bow manufacturing, but a string you attach to your arrow. Yeah, I remember that. Almost like a dental floss weight string. And as soon as you shot, it just dragged off. And I think there maybe was 100 yards packed in or something, but it was just to allow you to maybe find that string somewhere and walk towards it. Yeah, I do remember that. I never tried those either. But yeah, they made their rounds for a while. Yeah, and so that was way before I did anything with archery. As an engineer, you've got much, much more of a technical and trained background in broadhead testing than somebody like myself would do. I purposely, for the test that I'm going to conduct, I purposely bought some eBay Rage knockoffs. I know they use cheap steel, and I'm fairly certain of what's going to happen when it hits a a piece of plywood. Not 100%, but I'm fairly certain I'm going to see an epic explosion. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, you know, a lot of those that, you know, we call them on Archer Talk, China Dermics, you know, the the hypodermics from China. And people have found that they do incredibly well, because here's the reality. First of all, the steel that's used in the Rage is it's incredibly cheap anyway. It's just, I mean, no offense to them. It just is. I mean, each of those heads costs less than a dollar to manufacture, yet you're paying $50 because 47 of it goes to marketing and, and so forth. And so what you're actually dealing with with these stamped blades and with this, this you know, China steel is it's, it just doesn't have to be that tough to, with the design to still be able to kill an animal. I mean, every test I've done with a hypodermic, one of the blade breaks, but still with that other blade and with the penetration and until that blade breaks in a species in in an animal a medium it's going to put a pretty good kill shot on them so with the china dermics the the knockoffs sometimes with stuff like that they make them on the exact same facility they just go okay the run at the factory is done with the the rages now we're just going to do it on our own and people do stuff on their own and it's almost exactly the same same stuff and everything other times you know they just can can copy it only they don't have the $47 a pack in overhead, but it's still good stuff. And so friends that have used those have taken multiple animals with the same cheap head where they're, I mean, they're like a dollar each, you know, or $2 each. And so, you know, are, would they hold up to really durable testing? No, but most mechanicals won't anyway. Will they get it done on a turkey, a deer, or a hog? Absolutely. And it's, it's a good economical way to go if, if you're willing to do that. Yeah, I was sent some broadheads from Faradine, which is the owning company of Rage and Muzzy. These were some Rocky Mountain broadheads. I was uh-huh. sent, uh, and they're basically identical to the Rage Four Blade Extreme and the other one's escaping me right now. But then I went out and bought the original at the local sporting goods store. I bought a pack of Rocky Mountains for their original broadhead, which was the Warhead, which is a mechanical blade yeah. that came out in, I think, 79, 80, 81, some way, way back. Yeah. Yeah. They had, they had the Sniper. They had, they had quite a few that were really good. As far as price point goes, they're half the price of, of Rage. You don't have near the choice you know, of different styles, but if it works, it works. Again, I still like the Magnus broadheads. As you've said with yours, though, now granted, I think they they twisted when you were shooting them into the cinder block. Oh, yeah. But but you know what? Those are great heads. Like I would have no hesitation for for, you know, deer hogs. 
and a lot of animals use in Magnus. I, I like the Black Hornet of all of them. I mean, it's so thick and um, they're so stout, but they're all really good heads. There's, there's no doubt. For everybody that's listening, that's just a taste of what's out there for broadheads on John's channel. Now I want to jump back mm -hmm. to actually hunting because I got out there and I was watching all your broadhead testing and I was kind of ignoring the actual hunting videos because I was looking for certain things on broadheads and I was like, well, a turkey hunts a turkey hunts a turkey hunt, you know? Well, then I happened to scroll back to see how many videos you actually had. And the second video you uploaded about a year ago, the title caught me right off the bat and it said, between the eyes, turkey bow hunt. <laughs> and I was like, no way, because these things are moving all over the place so fast. It had to have been a mistake to shoot it between the eyes. So tell the folks a little bit about that one, because that really blew my mind. That's when you went from a broadhead tester to a hunter. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that was that hunt was one of my favorite hunts. I was in Montana, and I'd never hunted in Montana. It was spring. That was when I was on my sabbatical, ministry sabbatical. And so it was turkey season, and found some uh, a buddy gave me a, a place to hunt up there and so i'm i'm looking after these these gobblers and for whatever reason they were just extremely wary i mean they wouldn't come into my set they wouldn't come near my blinds they wouldn't come into my deeks i mean i'm like calling and and i i tried for a few days and then it was my last day and again this one big one just wouldn't come in but i saw him a couple hundred yards away and i thought that's it i'm abandoning my setup and I'm just going to go old school. And so I just started kind of chasing him, but, you know, going way around, I thought, I know where he's going. And so I cut through the woods and I'm running through the woods. And then the problem was, okay, this, this one gobbler had two hands and then he was in the midst of six whitetails. So he's no fool. He's literally, and, and I see that a lot that the deer will stay with the turkeys and the turkeys will stay with their deer. Cause then you got noses and eyes. And that is like quite the, uh, you know, the formidable adversary right there. So I've got like three turkeys and six whitetails all in a little group going together. And I'm trying to ambush this thing on foot. And I mean, I'm just having the hardest time closing the distance. And then I thought, okay, I think I know where it's going to go. I ran way ahead this time and belly crawled through this ravine. And I poked my head up out of the, the top of the ravine. And there's the turkey like in full strut. And he was about, I don't know, a little over 40 yards, 44 yards or something like that. And so I was using an NAP kill zone. That's, that's one of my favorites for turkey. And so I shot him and I hit him. I thought it was a good shot. He was facing me, but it was a little bit low and it, it kind of flew slash ran off. And I thought, oh, it's just going to pile up over there wherever. Well, I, I couldn't find it and I couldn't believe I couldn't find it. And I was looking like all over. I'm like, oh man, that's one of my best turkeys ever. And, you know, it was really a, a, a fun hunt. I got to find this thing. So I'm looking all over and, and I'm walking and then I see something under this tree up ahead and I'm like, what, what is that? Well, it was the turkey and it's very much alive and I can see it in there through all this brush and it was a, a chunk away. It was a ways away, but I thought, okay, I'm going to drill this thing. <laughs> and so I, I didn't want to use another mechanical head just because they're not cheap. So I had a small game point head, a judo point. And so I screwed on my judo point, like confident, I'm going to make this shot. And I pinwheeled it right between the eyes. I mean, as a brain shot, boom. And so it just, it just hit it right between the eyes. It immediately puffed up, boom, like all of its, its wings, just full wingspan, and then flopped a few times. And then that was it. And the, and the, the, the arrow was just 
stuck like right between the eyes. So it makes for like a pretty cool looking picture, to be honest. I know it's a little graphic, but, but you know, it's actually a very ethical, humane kill. I mean, it, it felt nothing at that point. Oh, no, so, it was yeah, dead. Was pretty, it, was, <laughs> it was definitely dead. Yeah, I love that hunt. It was just, when I was done with that, you'd think I shot, you know, a, a seven by seven elk or something. It was just like, woohoo, you know, I got this thing. And, Montana on the ground, you know, spotting stock, and then with a brain shot. Yeah, that was that was pretty sweet. Another thing that you hunted in Montana that I, I think it was Montana or Wyoming, and I wasn't even familiar this was an option was wild goats, feral goats. Okay, yeah. So this this was in Colorado. This oh, is okay. something really unique. Okay, it, it was in Western Colorado, and it's a it's a ranch. So it's a, a hunting ranch. I know there's different feelings about hunting ranch. My, you know. I, let me just say a little side thing. I've hunted so many different types of hunts from, you know, ground blind in in South Africa to tree stand for bear in Canada. And, I, you know, I've learned each one has its own merit and each one has its own challenge. They may not all be my favorite kind of hunt, but I have learned over the years to not be as critical of other hunting styles as as I used to be. If it wasn't the way I liked it in the past, I would just criticize it. Oh, that's that's you know, that's terrible. Matter of fact, just today one of my comments on one of my African hunts was somebody said, Well Howard Hill and Fred Bear never would have hunted from a ground blind. And I always try to be nice and I go, Well thank you for sharing your comment, but you know, they're not my gold standard of what, what kind of hunting I want to do. And though that I love them, I mean I learned a lot from those guys. But I, I don't like to compare. So all that being said, I'm not a big high fence hunter, um, except hogs. I don't mind. And, you know, other like, you know, feral animals like that, you know, I don't mind so much exotics if it's a really cool ranch. So this one in Colorado, it's a thousand acres and it includes like really mountainous terrain and cliffs. And it's not just like a little pen that you walk in and shoot one. Well, they had, we were there uh, and, and they had these two goats that had been feral for a long time. I mean, they put them in there, but these two, like, whatever, they just survived, and they're surviving against the mountain lions and stuff like that, because this whole side of it, there's actually, there's no fence. It's just the cliff is kind of the fence, so they could get out, and mountain lions get in and stuff like that, but I saw them over a mile away on a spotting scope, and I'm like, man, I want to go after that, (laughs) so we just go for it. I mean, a mile, and so we get all the, and so funny, because my, my buddies were watching from the ranch through spotting scopes and they're watching me chasing this goat and there's times that they, they were like you were so close but I didn't know it and then they watch it you know it circles around the other way and it was really they were laughing they're like turn around John you know but I couldn't hear him or anything and and so I um it took I, it was like four hours and we walked over four miles over that whole cliffside chasing this wary thing and then finally we got up above it and it was down below us and it was trotting and that was honestly that was a pretty good shot because that was that was a clip away and it was moving and I shot it and dropped it I mean that was with the trophy taker ATAC those things fly really well too but I just I kind of guessed the distance and I guessed the lead you know the, the the lead in front of it because it's moving and it was just one of those relatively lucky shots and it dropped it and then it rolled down the cliff and and then I could hear I'm not kidding from a mile away because of the cliff and the way it traps the sound I could hear my friends cheering woo because they watched <laughs> it all on on the on the spotting scope so 
Yeah, that video is on my on my YouTube channel as well. It was pretty exciting. I like doing off-season tuner-upper hunts like that. It's kind of fun. Well, and I've always been one. Again, a big chunk of this is me being mobility impaired. So if you put me in a blind, uh, chances of me going anywhere are slim to none. So whether that uh-huh. property is 50 acres or 5,000 acres, I'm only going to see what comes around that blind. And uh-huh. Well, that's a good point. So for me, you know, I've hunted low fence, high fence, no fence, 66,000 acres, 110 acres. I hunted a 110 acre high fence part outside of Austin, Texas. I shot an Oryx. Okay, that's not a small animal. Oh, yeah, right. We couldn't find it. We couldn't find yeah. it until the next day. Yeah, it's not a gimme. People think it's a gimme. It's not a gimme. Granted, I also shot a, a ram out of there that I look back and I really shot him just because they asked me to do a favor because that ram was attacking the guys when they were coming in the, the fence. And so that really wasn't a hunt. That was a shoot. That was a cull. But Texas is like that. You know, I hunted an area that was, um, oh, geez, I think we were hunting on a piece of property that was about 25,000 acres and it was low fence and there was feral populations of rams there was feral populations of fallow deer there was feral populations of all sorts of exotic animals that were you know we were out there for deer and he said if you see any one of these other ones just shoot them we, we don't want them around yeah so texas yeah, is kind unique. of invasive yeah texas is unique that way you know, I had this one opportunity, you know, as we're talking about different types of hunts, I, I drew this coveted mountain goat tag and you're mentioning feral goats, but I was in Colorado. I got this mountain goat tag and that's like, that's like one in a million. And I, I didn't even draw it at first, but I got a call from Department of Fish and Game, Parks and Wildlife. And they said, Hey, somebody returned their tag. Do you want to go? And the season was in three weeks. And I'm like, yes, it was a rifle tag, but I just wanted to get it done with my bow. And so it's all public land. And we went up, me and my buddy, and got this goat at 13,200 feet. I mean, we climbed that thing, and during rifle season, shot this goat with a bow. That was like, that was just like epic. I love doing different kind of stuff like that. And each thing has, you know, like I said, each thing has its glory. I saw last year, I shot a mountain lion in Colorado as well. And I'd never hunted with dogs. I didn't know, like, am I going to like that? Or is that like cheating? But I thought, you know, I like upland bird hunting with dogs. And, and, and man, I just loved it. It was the thrill of the hunt. And you're hunting with another animal. I mean, you're partnering with an animal to hunt an animal. And so it had like this, this unique charm and challenge that I'd never experienced. And it was an incredible experience. But I just, I'm all about like doing whatever is just going to be, let's try something different and let's have that experience. And maybe it's my favorite, maybe it's not my favorite, but I like the diversity of experience all with the bow. I just love that. Oh yeah. And years and years ago, I would have told you that I, I just didn't see any skill in hunting a mountain lion with a, with dogs. And then as you've obviously, as I've grown and aged and smartened up, I've realized that that's actually one of the best conservation tools there is because it allows you to tree that cat and get a good look at it. Is it a female? Is it a male? You know, is it young? Is it old? Without just shooting the first thing that you see because it's the only thing you've seen, I've really come to appreciate that as a whole unique skill set of using the dogs uh, as I like to watch the dogs run wild, you know, hogs. I love to watch that. Yeah, you're right. It is a good conservation thing, too. And, you know, I mean, if we didn't use hounds for mountain lions 
we'd never be able to harvest enough because they're just, it's so hard to just find them. They're just so incredibly elusive, though they overpopulate. You know, Colorado has like seven to 10,000 mountain lions, and that's why they have the season to keep the numbers in check. You know, I mean, each one will take down a muley on average once a week. Mm -hmm. And so if they're out of check because they don't have any predator or they don't have any, you know, natural predator and humans aren't harvesting them, then it wipes out the whole ecosystem. So they, they want to harvest a certain number, but they couldn't do that without hounds. It just, you know, it just wouldn't be an effective way to do it. And then, like you said, you'd shoot too many females, you'd shoot too many little ones, and it would that would mess things up. So yeah, it's fun to partner with the dogs, and it's, it's just a great way to practice conservation. And, and I'll tell you what, man, I could not believe how good the mountain lion tasted. Like I'd read about it, you know, I Googled, can you eat mountain lion? Like I didn't even know, man, that's been like one of my very favorite meat I've ever had. I had like mountain lion broths made and you just feel kind of extra cool going, I'm eating a mountain lion broth, <laughs> you know? And then, and then, you know, all kinds of stuff on the grill, the steaks. I just, I, I love it. I did an interview not too long ago with uh, a couple of gentlemen from Canada and they have Bushnell's trigger effect TV show. And the one yeah. gentleman, Dean was telling me that he grew up in a family that his grandfather, I believe was a houndsman. And so their main table fare through the year was mule deer and mountain lion. And he didn't Whoa. know people didn't eat mountain lion. <laughs> That's funny. That's cool. Yeah. Now I want to try it. All your videos are great. And I encourage people to go out, sign up, subscribe for Lusk Archery Adventures because the content is there. If you ever are looking at broadheads, there's a chance that John's covered it on there. But you also did something kind of cool because as I indicated earlier, I spent all this time looking at bows to the point where I, I just overthought it and did nothing and spent many years trying to figure out what I was going to do. You did a test of, what was it, three or four bows and decided and, oh, and switched yeah, to a new one? Oh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, you know, I, I moved here to Iowa last September, and there's an incredible bow shop here in Des Moines. And so I got to know the guys there, and I was it was I was due for a new bow, though I'd loved my, my Hoyt Spider, Carbon Spider 30. I'd had that for, I don't know how many years, like eight years or something, which was long for me with a, maybe it was like six years. It was long for me with a bow. And and I loved it, but I was just looking for something new. I wanted something. I have a short draw length, 27 inches. So I wanted some speed, but I really wanted even more comfort than I had with my Hoyt. And so I wanted to see if I could find something like that. So I went there thinking I'm going to get the new Hoyt RX3. And then I'm testing all the bows. And I thought, you know, this is like just January. A lot of people would probably benefit from seeing a little bow comparison, a little bow battle. And so I, I, I did three different videos and tested a total of eight different bows. And the first one was uh, just, I forgot what it was called, like bow battle, you know, it was Hoyt versus Matthews versus PSE versus Bowtech. And then I tested the Elite um, versus, oh, then I did a carbon one, Battle of the Carbons, like two different carbons, a Hoyt carbon and PSE carbon, and then did Elite and Bear and did, just did a, a few different tests like that and got a lot of good traction. A lot of people are really grateful. You know, I've learned this, that, that everything in, in comparing bows, it's very subjective. And one person will say, this bow is the most smooth bow ever. This person will say, it's the harshest bow in the world. And I, I've realized that at different draw lengths, the cycles vary. The draw cycles vary considerably. But when you watch most videos, they'll use like a 28 and a half inch draw length or something like that, 29, kind of a common one. 
And there's very few that test the bows at 27 inches like I did. So a lot of the shorter draw length guys really like it. And the bows are very different. Like the draw cycle of a bow at at 27 inches compared to the draw cycle of that same bow at 29 inches, it is night and day. And it helped me understand why some people say, that bow's so smooth. And other people go, that bow's so harsh. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, largely a function of the draw cycle. So anyway, I, I, for me, I, I did that test and, and it was like, for me, I'm literally doing the test to go, which one do I like? And I walked away with a Bowtech SR6 around. SR6, and I, I'd never owned a Bowtech. I mean, I'd always kind of like knocked Bowtechs, like we call them Blowtechs, you know, because they had limb problems at one point years ago. But man, I could not believe the technology and the evolution. This bow was the fastest of all of them and the smoothest of all of them for me at that draw length, my anatomy. And so maybe not for somebody else, but but I just, I love to have an affair comparison. And I'm going to keep doing that because I think it was it was really helpful to a lot of other guys that watch the videos. Gosh, that first bow battle one got like 100,000 views in the last two months, I think. I yeah. mean, it was a really good, yeah, good video. And so I want to do that a lot more. Bowtech has a new uh, new one, The Reckoning, coming out. It's going to be released any day now. Matter of fact, maybe it's been released. I don't know. It's April and that bow is incredible. It's it's a breakthrough, and it's it got this patent thing that now you can you don't have to do any yoke tuning. You, you it's just they have like a little a little set screw, a little Allen wrench bolt that you can loosen, and then just with a dial you can move the whole cam like left and right, both the top and the bottom. So you don't need to shim, you don't need to yoke tune. Like it's it's incredible the way you can do this. And I don't know why other companies haven't done it, but I I, I think this was like one of those big breakthroughs. There's few big breakthroughs in technology because you kind of go, we've kind of done it all. But every once in a while, there's a breakthrough. And that, in my opinion, was a big breakthrough. So I love being kind of at the ground level and testing these different bows without having a, a brand loyalty and just seeing which one is, is working for me. Yeah, and I think you, if you look back to, oh, a decade ago, 15 years ago, every one of these bow companies, for the most part, was an independent. They were all separate competitors. They had an in-house design group of engineers that, this is speculation, but I believe it probably primarily worked just for them and not many, if many at all, might not have even worked for the other competitors. So you didn't have a whole lot of integration. You didn't have a whole lot of cross-platforming of ideas. And now in these last 10 years, we've had, oh, Bowtech by Diamond, Diamond and Bowtech by Excalibur. And they can, in that example, they can take the best of what Excalibur knows they could take the best of what diamond knows the best of what Botech knows and cross platforms on that and if this idea works and this idea doesn't work well we can get rid of one and cross it against and i, I think it just makes you know matthews has mission crossbows and you know the list goes on so i think it's really made for a and as some companies have folded their engineers have gone off to others and said, hey, you're doing it this way, but if you tweak it this way, you're going to get this. And I just think it's oh, been, yeah, yeah. you know, I, okay. I think a bow now, uh, yeah, there's the carbon and there's little nuances that each one's going to bring. But for the most part, there's still going to be the guys that like the split limbs, some guys that don't like the split limbs. There's, there's always going to be those little types of items. But for the most part, I think most of the bows out there are pretty darn good and it's really down to a personal preference versus what little bit of extra you're going to get. You know, I, yeah, it's true. And, 
I know that they have their, you know, their conglomerates, you know, and their different tiers of bows, like, like you're mentioning, you know, the, the diamond and Excalibur for the crossbows and stuff like that. And they do that. But then I, you know, they are like super top secret. Like I got this tour of the Hoyt facility and one of my good minister friends uh, was a college roommate of the head compound bow engineer at Hoyt. So we got this personal tour from the head compound bow engineer and it was awesome. And we're going around. I get to ask all my million questions and stuff. And then there's like this area. And, and I'm like, hey, what's over there? And he's like, oh, you can't go over there. <laughs> I mean, that's like the, the top secret, like nobody goes over there kind of thing. And, and, and yet, you know, I mean, you know, they're trying to figure out what each other's doing. And, you know, like you said, you know, maybe they hire somebody from another company or something. And it's hard to keep a new idea your own for very long. But then, like you said, I, I do think they've evened out a lot. When I was doing these tests and I would post, you know, the different results, people would just come on and it's funny in the comments in YouTube and just say, oh, PSE is crap, you know, and, and, I, and I just try to, you know, I try to be polite and engage and I go, really, why do you think that? Why do you say that? And the fact is, most people, they have no reason behind what they say, except a bunch of the guys at the shop say that. And so then they perpetuate. It's classic prejudice, right? I mean, there's just, there's no knowledge behind it, it's, or it's really old knowledge. And I just, if I compare them all, I go, you know what? It's the, the ground has gotten a lot more level in recent years, and each has its appeal. Like you said, it's just, it's up to what's your personal preference. I'm going to be honest. What led me first to liking the diamond brand was their stupid commercial where the guy's sitting in the restaurant with his wife and he says, she got me a diamond. <laughs> I know that one. And yeah. that's what turned me on to that brand and captured my interest. But what sold me on it was the ability for somebody like myself. I, I, I don't want to go out and buy a bow that is at a 50 pounds and then I got to take it into a bow shop to move it up to 60 and then up to 70 and I'm stuck at these certain levels. I like the fluidity of it and it might get to a point where I say, you know, I don't want a bow hunt, but I want to knock this down to 20 or 25 pounds and use it for bow fishing. There you go. Yep. Yep. It, that bow gave me the most flexibility, but for you, it may have been a completely worthless bow because you don't need something that goes down to five pounds. It, that just wouldn't suit your needs. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be willing to bet that if I, I like wouldn't. choices. Right. I'd be willing to bet that if I went into any one of these major manufacturers, say in July, they have that secret area, which is really nothing more than every one of their manufacturers or their competitors' bows torn down and being reverse engineered and figured out what's <laughs> patented and what's not. <laughs> you know that's going on, man. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> like when you look at um, the Allen broadheads, and we kind of said this earlier, when you look at the Allen broadheads that are sold at Walmart and, and a number of the deep discount box stores, 6 $7 for a pack of three, they look just like a muzzy four blade, and they look just like a number of other broadheads. So as you said, I can see them in some factory. There, there can't be that many factories that manufacture broadheads. They're just... <laughs> there can't be that many of them in the world. So if they're overseas where the ability to control the output is less, well, here's three for Muzzy, here's three for us, you know, and they just, 
they run them however they want because how are you going to control that? There really isn't any way. You're not going to have somebody sitting at the factory every day saying, you use this much material and I got X number of broadheads. Where'd the other, you know, 3,000 broadheads go? Uh-huh. So, yep, yep. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't end this by asking you one last little bit. Tell me a little bit about your camera gear you use for recording your episodes. Yeah, and you know, I'm not um I, I'm very much a novice in this area. I'm just like I'm just a dude. You know, I'm just a dude that likes to do the testing and stuff. So my my videos are they lack so much refining. There's there's no <laughs> doubt about it. I mean, you go to outdoor channel, you're gonna see top tier stuff. You go to my channel and you're just gonna see a dude filming his hunts and stuff in the, or you know, test in the basement. And I think that's kind of part of the charm. You know, I think it's part of the the cool thing about social media is no frills, just kind of like just stuff, you know, just real, real stuff. And so I like that. But, you know, I've used I've gone through a different couple different tacticams. I use a 2.0. I use a 4.0. And there was a lot that I liked about those uh, having a bow mounted camera. But they really had a problem with well, not a problem, but they they couldn't capture the point of impact. There's like there's such a jolt when you release that arrow and the whole bow shake and and then you don't catch the arrow impacting the animal. I mean, it's just it was really hard to do that. And so then I just got for Christmas, I got this this GoPro Hero 7 Black. And and like I was saying earlier, I just I cannot believe how much that stabilizes it. Like, like the problem is solved. Everyone ought to have one on their bow. I mean, they're just, they easily clamp on to your stabilizer. And I use a titanium archery product stabilizers, really good stabilizers, but I just clamp it on there. And then when I'm walking, like if I'm just walking through the woods, even if I'm running, there was times I'm chasing a hog, the camera, it's just smooth as can be. There's no jitteriness. And, uh, and the same thing with a shot that, you know, I draw back and bam, you shoot and, and you can just see the arrow going smooth right into the hog. I mean, it, it's amazing. So I, that's just, this was my first hunting trip using that, that new camera. And man, now I just go, I, I want to get a few of them. I want to get one that attaches where it can catch me drawing the bow. And, and then it has like ultra slow motion to super high speed filming to where you can get the best slow motion there is. And so I did a video. I did one while I was there in this, this hog hunt. I went out on this pond. There's a picnic table in this pier in the pond. And I set up a six pack of beer. I had all this beer and I shook up the cans a little bit <laughs> and lined them up on the picnic table. <laughs> and I had my phone because, you know, just an iPhone in the slow motion setting, it does amazingly well. So I had a little, a little tiny tripod. I had that on. And then I have uh, this JVC little handheld camera that does pretty well too. It, it, you know, it's pretty high speed. And then I had the GoPro set up right there and it was like three cameras. Boom. I mean, it looks so cool seeing that arrow zip. It was a Bishop arrow. I wanted to see how it did against this zip right through all six cans and the beers just flying. I got it like in super slow motion. So I'm going to be putting that video out sometime soon. But, but I, so I use those three cameras and those are, but, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to evolve and I, I really like this new GoPro thing. And so I probably get another one of those. And for me and my purposes, that's, 
that's pretty much all I need. I, I wish the GoPro had a better zoom, though it does have a zoom for the first time. I mean, you can put it in linear mode, so it's not like a fisheye effect. And then you can you can zoom it in. And I don't know the exact magnification, but it's it's quite a few times. Like, I mean, it's, it's enough to where you can zoom in. Then when you're doing, you mentioned iMovie earlier, which is what I'm using right now, though, I, you know, I, I need to upgrade in my editing sometime soon. But but I just use iMovie and you can you can zoom in there. So the combination of the GoPro zoom and then the editing zoom, I go, man, I can zoom in really good on uh, on on an impact shot. So at this point, for my purposes, that's all I need. Now, as I you know generate more funding from the ads, you know, on my on my on my YouTube channel, then I'll be able to get even better cameras, and I would like to do that at some point. We've been talking about an hour and a half or so, and didn't we say that that headshotted pig video had about 2,400, 2,500 views? Yeah, it was like 2,400. Well, it's up to 3,100 already in the time we've been talking. (laughs) Wow. Okay, so this, yeah, I had it, I posted it yesterday, so it's been it's been 23 hours, because I posted it at 1230. Oh, that's by far my record for the first, wow, that's, yeah, just in this last chunk, that's gone up about, yeah. I just happened to refresh your page, and I'm like, wait a minute, it says 3,100 views. Oh, good. Well, John, I can't thank you enough for the time today. We've covered your channel, the broadheads, which, I mean, we haven't even really scratched the tip of the iceberg of your broadhead tests. Uh, I just wanted to test you on the one that I saw that I, I liked the Iron Will, and I now know why I like it because it's a Cadillac of broadheads. <laughs> you know, we looked at your hunting, and I tell folks, go out there and look at the turkey hunting. Look at the African videos. Your archery in the Africa is fantastic. And, you know, a little bit on the filming, and you really, really, you capture most of this with your iPhone and, and some GoPros. Nothing real fancy, nothing that anybody would have to go out and break the bank on to do filming. Yeah, that's right. That's what I try to do is just do it in a practical, down-to-earth, easy, cheap-as-possible kind of way. That's my favorite word, cheap. (laughs) Uh, It gives you more money to spend on gear. That's right. That's right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I hope you have a great afternoon, and I look forward to touching base with you in the future and seeing how everything's going. Thank you so much, Jason. It's been an honor to chat with you. Man, time has just flown by. Love your podcasts, and really a pleasure to be a part of it today. Thanks. I really appreciate that. You have a great day. All right. You too. Take care. Bye. Come early spring, it's getting green. Fish are on the bed. Hear those turkeys gobble. 